The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Stand up on your feet, take your Bibles. Turn to second Hezekiah yeah. second Chronicles there's no Hezekiah second there's no first Hezekiah either bless the Lord my mother sends her love to all y'all some of you know her She'll be back with us, I think, around Christmas. Glory. While you're turning to 2 Chronicles 7, uh, put your, your uh, ribbon in there, if you would. Now, let me, let me tell you a decision that I made painfully and prayerfully. Uh, we're not going to have banners uh, in the main services anymore. And uh, I have agonized over that. Um, nevertheless... We will not have banners in an ongoing way in our services. We are having a, we'll have a ministry. If people want to be involved in banner ministry, they'll do that, and they'll do specials and things like that. But for a variety of reasons, uh, I've decided to allow for the only banners to be on the end of your Bible right there. All right? So some of you are sad. Some of you are glad. I've tried to obey the Lord, and uh, we'll continue to do that. Amen. Uh, what were we saying? Second Chronicles 7. You all there? Yeah. All right. Second Chronicles 7. I want you to turn to verse uh, 7, chapter 7, verse 14. Where is my wife? Would you retrieve her for me, please? And we'll wait. For her. I waited for the Lord on high. I waited and he heard my cry. I waited, I waited, waited, waited for the Lord on high. Pastor Karen, please come to the sanctuary. I waited, and he heard my cry. Ah, oh, hallelujah. As soon as you can, please. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse, guess which verse? You got it. Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, it's covenant language here, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Take your Bibles now, turn to 2 Corinthians, pardon me, 1 Corinthians, and find verse, uh, chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. And verse nine through 11, brace yourself. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Just wiped out the church right there if we didn't read the last verse. And such were some of you. Hallelujah. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you're going to do tonight. We give you praise and glory and honor ahead of time. Release living understanding. I'm mindful, Lord, as I preach to this marvelous gathering of blood-washed, 
saints, that I also preach before your heavenly host, God, and before Satan and his demons. I'm mindful that there's a great war that's going on right now for souls and for our nation and for the nations of the earth. I pray and ask God that you would give me a mantle to be able to preach and speak and say what you have placed upon my heart. That when we leave this place, we would all say that you've spoken to us in some way. Speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit. May we never be the same. Come on, if you have the freedom to pray in a heavenly language, go ahead and do that right now. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The United States is in a tremendous challenge. Um, I've traveled more in recent years than I've ever traveled in my life, and everywhere I go, I see the same thing. As we were in Williamsburg getting one of our favorite treats, a scoop of haagen ice cream, getting touched by the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody just got touched right there. I looked and saw uh, very clearly two lesbian women wearing... Um, Christian shirts from their mainline denomination that's endorsed homosexuality, lesbianism, and transsexuals in the ministry. And as I sat there, I watched the criticism and sort of outrage rise up in my heart, and then that turned to a measure of compassion and um, I just thought to myself, Jesus, I, I bet that they don't even know it's wrong. I want to look tonight at the topic and the declaration that America can be healed. America can be healed. So as the United, the United States has always faced tremendous challenges, we face many challenges today. And no matter how we glorify history, we must understand that the U.S. has been in deep trouble many, many times. And in the reading of this book, the 1776, you know, just it's a historical biography and some of the accounts of how God intervened, I mean, absolutely amazing how God intervened on behalf of us. It's just an impossible task for a small little bunch of revolutionaries to beat the largest nation in the world. Sounds familiar. God did that with Israel over and over and over again. How they would cry out to God and God would deliver. And the same thing happened even with our foreign founding fathers, though they not be perfect by a long shot. But we have faced many challenges, philosophical challenges like Nazism, communism, Theological challenges like universalism and, and as of late, neo-Calvinism. Some of you know what that is. There's a, a rotten grace message that's spreading throughout the land like gangrene. People writing all kinds of books about it. Even, even uh, heard of uh, one of the brothers that's a part of the Assembly of God endorsing and encouraging folks to read books that are clearly theologically left field. I mean, totally off the beam. We probably need to teach on grace once again. Times where we've gone awry like slavery. Times where we've been through tremendous enemies from without as well as within. Yet time and again, as God's people would cry out, God would intervene. And of course, the same is true in Israel's history. As we look at the text, the context of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, the context is the dedication of the temple. Solomon has just finished dedicating the temple. And the Lord appears to Solomon, and we get this glimpse of what God says. God gives a remedy to Solomon. Come on, if you ever, ever, anybody ever been bit by a snake, poisonous snake, cotton, cotton head, or any one of those kind of copper copperhead or any kind of poison to say, I don't know if you've ever been, you better have the remedy though. If, if you, if you have a problem, I, I, uh, 
somebody might be thinking, I gained 100 pounds while I'm on vacation, but actually I got stung by 15 times in one place in my, my neck by my, my lovely bees, my friends. And so I have a triple chin now because it's just all swollen through here and it's really great. I went to bed last night and I slept for, I don't know, I would wake up every hour and just sort of monitoring my body as my throat was beginning to close a little bit. I have in my house one of those, you know, right through the gene EpiPens, thanks to uh, Dr. Schaefer who hooked me up. I told a story last year and she said, you need an EpiPen. And so she gave me a prescription and I went and got an EpiPen and I have two of them. And I thought about maybe I should go shoot myself with that thing. And I thought, oh, no, Jesus. So I just prayed for a while, and, uh, and I started getting better, and I recovered. The EpiPen would have been the, the remedy for the swollen uh, allergic reaction to 15 bee stings in my neck. All in the same place. <laughs> I won, they lost, praise the Lord. There's a remedy. <laughs> There's a remedy for a nation when it comes under judgment. There's a remedy. And Solomon, as he was talking to the Lord, God gives him this remedy. If you look at the verse just before that we won, the one that we read, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, the verse before that would be 2 Chronicles 7, 13. It says, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. And then he goes on to say, if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then. It's an if-then cause. If they do this, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's the remedy for a nation that comes under judgment. And the second passage that we read is a fascinating one where Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, was filled with pride. The church in Corinth was a church that had a major pride problem. And pride is difficult, isn't it? We're usually the last ones to find out we have it. It's kind of like bad breath. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, the Corinthian church plagued with problems. Again, their biggest problem is deception because they're filled with pride, but they don't know it. And as I've said so many times before, the problem with deception is you're deceived. So, you know, when you're deceived, you don't know that you're deceived. And the apostle instructs them that their deception, uh, that they don't understand what's right and what's wrong. And the, the apostle makes it clear, if you look at, we're in B3, the apostle makes it clear that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's a fascinating statement. So there's people actually in church, now watch this now, people actually in the Corinthian church that Paul's writing to and says, hey, y'all praising the Lord and everything, but actually you're wicked and you think you're going to heaven, but in fact, you ain't going. So can you imagine being in the Corinthian church and you're all, you know, you're doing your thing, really not knowing that there's really anything wrong because you're deceived. And then you get a letter from Papa Apostle Paul who says, yoo-hoo, you're headed to hell, Bubba. Well, that's exactly what happened. And it's much like today. It's a problem. That there, there were people in the church in Corinth and there's people in the church today that think they can just do whatever they stink and want to and it's all all right. I'm going to tell you something. That is not biblical. And it's not right. They were doing things that didn't realize that God saw that as evil. How many of you know that you might be doing something that God sees as evil? If you're doing something that God sees as evil, don't you think it'd be a good idea if you, if you, if you opened your eyes or helped you to realize that maybe you're doing something that's going to cause you to end up in destruction? Can I get an amen up in here? That's exactly the way our culture is today. People doing, doing things that are wrong, thinking that it's all right, that God just winks at it. It's no big deal. You know, God doesn't grade us on a curve. How many of you know what that means? You graded on a curve. I just love that when I was in school. I was like, oh, awesome. Yeah, that's not how God is. There is holiness, and then there is, there is sin. He doesn't grade on a curve. Next to him, we're all sinners. Without the blood of Jesus, we're not cleansed. Can you say amen? 
So we need to repent. In this case, there were some who had the mistaken idea that they could surrender their hearts to Christ yet continue to live in the way that they were living prior to doing that. And the apostle Paul says, hey, you're deceived. And you give your heart to Jesus but continue to live like you used to, then you're deceived. And he makes it very plain. And he lists this behavior which is just <laughs> intense. The apostle Paul lists behavior and he, he makes it clear we define ourselves by what we do. Let me tell you something. You are not what you eat. You are what you believe. And the way that you believe is the way that you're living. So if you want to know what you believe, just look at how you're living. Look, look how you handle your money. Look how you handle your stuff. How do you steward things? Look how you treat other people. I mean, there's some folks that back my bad mouth and slander people left and right, not, not even realizing or remembering that their angels see the face of God every single day. They bring the blood of Jesus on trial, point the finger at another Christian saying, oh, I mean, does Jesus' blood wash away all sin? He does. Amen. Come on, somebody say yes. And really, when you boil it all down, this list of behaviors, which we're going to go through painfully for some. And boil it all down, it's selfishness. He begins with sexual sin. Let's go ahead and look at that. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know? This is the NIV now. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, or thieves, or greedy, or drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were. I love that, that, last, that last part. If you look, at the, you look at this in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, there's two words here, uh, two Greek words for homosexuality. One is active homosexuality, and the other one is passive and uh, I'm not exactly sure what passive is. Maybe it's just, well, I'm not even going to presume to know what passive homosexual acts are. But there are both of those words there. I thought that was interesting. But basically, in, all, in other words, all forms of homosexuality, also all forms of adultery, fornication, sexual sin, goes on to, to list how people respond to each other in response to their greed and and even how they respond to each other with their words. And he lists other acts like verse 10. Nor thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> I'm just thankful that's not the end of the story. I mean, it's like partially depressing right now. You're like, oh. Finish up, pastor. Amen. I mean, that's the, the, the good news is the, the following verse, it says, you know, that's what some of you were. The end of the story it gives great hope. Come on. All of us struggled with something in that list. And it doesn't matter what you've struggled with or even struggled with in the list that was just gone through. What matters is this. The most important thing you can hear me say today is this. That you don't have to stay like that. That you can be changed. Come on. You can be changed. It gives great hope. Look at five. That you could be changed. Verse 11, that's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You can be changed. Without Jesus, without His Spirit, very difficult. He said, Pastor, well, how do these two passages help us understand and respond to where our nation's at? Well, I'm glad you asked. How do these two passages help us face the days that are ahead? First, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it begins to show us what it means to turn from our wicked ways. Bringing us a definition of wicked ways, which is found in 1 Corinthians 6, which we read. Paul defining that the sin of the ancient city, and, and really, honestly, what I believe is the number one sin for America. And arguably, it could be mammon. 
and, and honestly, only the Lord knows. But I, I believe our, the number one sin in this country, my opinion, is sexual sin. It is the number one sin in our country. It is absolutely unbelievable how it is spread from sea to shining sea, from every mountain to every valley. It's pushed through smartphones and media. It's on the TV. It's on DVDs. It's on Netflix. It's everywhere. Everywhere. I recently uh, heard about a young man who um, was being picked on for being naive. You know what naive is. In other words, he didn't know about the burns of the bees, and he was at an age that was um, about the age that maybe he should begin to think about that, but he just hadn't. And there were those around him that began to pick on him and call him things like a prude or, you know, um, just begin to rail him for his innocence. Can I tell you what's, what's really warped about that? What's warped is all the other stuff is what's weird. The fact that somebody who's just entering maybe puberty or, or just into puberty doesn't know about the uh, sexual activity or homosexuality. You say, well, he's, he's been sheltered or she's been sheltered. I don't know what the case is exactly. All I know is it's a beautiful thing to see somebody who's pure in heart. It's a beautiful thing to see somebody who's just entering that age and they don't know about, about all the defilement because they've not just been connected to it. And yet that person will get railed on, picked on, and there's a purity about her or him. That, that, that's, that's strange to me. And that's where we've gone. We've, we've gotten there in our country. Sexual sin. We've moved away from, look at your notes, from God's plan for sex. Look, God, God, look sex is God's idea. Oh yeah, I said it. S-E-X. Sex. Sex is God's idea. He invented it. Sex is not bad. It's wrong outside the covenant of marriage, inside the covenant of marriage, and we have to define marriage between man and woman now. Inside the covenant of marriage, it is a beautiful thing. Outside of it, it's wrong and will, in fact, take you to H-E double hockey stick. It's a covenant act. The purposes that God has ordained for sex are threefold. One, not necessarily in order, but threefold. One for, for procreation, for children. Amen. None of us would be here if your parents didn't get busy. Can you say amen? amen. Number two, pleasure. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible says in the Psalms that at his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. There's people that are on a, on a hunt to try to get satisfied and pleasure, but they'd be singing that song from the Rolling Stones after they've been through the washing machine and perhaps even at death's door. Can't get no, na na na, because nothing else satisfies but Jesus. And he's, he's ordered it that way. And so, unfortunately, some of us have gone down the primrose path to experience the pain and the difficulty of not serving God and not doing it God's way. That's what some of you, some of us were. But we've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been sanctified. Yes, we have. Sex is for procreation, for pleasure. The third thing, that if you're a married couple, of course, that would be the only way that you have license before the Lord to enjoy that covenant act is oneness. Oneness. What is that? No longer shall there be two, but the two shall become one flesh. There is a supernatural event that takes place in the chambers of intimacy between a man and wife, between husband and wife, that takes place, children's churches upstairs. Amen. It takes place between a man and wife, a husband and wife. It's called oneness. It is, I believe, the greatest act of spiritual warfare that you can do in your marriage. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. 
Some of you, you should see what I'm looking at, Pastor Karen. You'll be like, <laughs> hey, it's healthy to hear messages like this in church. Not afraid to talk about it, have no hang-ups. Amen, been healed, been delivered, praise the Lord. And let me just say, let me, let me say this, that if in your marriage that ends or stops for whatever justifiable reason, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And there can be physiological things that happen that cause you to fast for a season. I understand that. There can be uh, things that take place that cause you to, you know, not be intimate for a season. But it should only be a season. Amen. Well, you guys are scaring me, so I'm going to... Not really. Not really, but I'm going to move on. Because you just look like you're in pain. All right, I'm going to continue on that then. Two distinct people, psychologically, physically, emotionally, different, yet they're joined spiritually in that act. And in fact, when it's done outside the covenant of marriage, it's the only sin that takes place on the inside of your body, and it has been shown and proven through, uh, by psychologists and different ones. They've discovered what we already know as believers, that... That act, when it's done outside of the, of the protection of covenant and that which is forever till death do us part, that it creates a fracture inside people. And we have a whole generation that's fractured in their emotions. They're fractured because you see what happens is that when you're with somebody, let's say, not unmarried, in other words, you're fornicating. If you're, if you're sleeping with somebody who's married, then that's adultery, okay? For definition purposes. I don't know if we'll get to finish this message tonight. But what happens is the two become one flesh. However, when it's not in the context and under the covenant protection of till death do us part forever and for always to have and to hold, then there's a ripping that takes place every time they come apart. And so people are constantly joining and ripping, joining and ripping, join, and you know what? They end up with multiple personalities and psychotic. You know why? Because there's a whole bunch of other people in there. I'm not laughing. It's not a joke. And I've seen it over and over and over and again. When you, when, you, when you counsel with people who've been very promiscuous, you'll find that they are fractured in who they are. So, pastor, what do I do if I've been in that situation? You repent and you break every soul tie off of every person you've ever been with. You renounce it, you repent, and you return whatever you took from them and you take back by faith whatever they took from you. You seal that thing, you shut it off, and you wash it in the blood and move on to number two and number three. And if you have been with so many people that you cannot remember them all, then you just trust God and take them all back and get everything that you got taken from you and just do a wholesale deliverance. You get prayer. Some people are so confused in their walk with God because they've never really dealt with roots that have, even from their childhood, painful things that they've been through. America is filled with a whole generation like this. A whole generation. And another thing that they say, by the way, is we've found that, that people are actually frozen in their emotions at the age in which they begin to fornicate. So if it's 12 years old, then you'll find... Don't shout me down when I'm preaching, because some of you know what I'm talking about. You'll find that somebody might now be 18 years old, but they act like a 12-year-old because they're frozen in that place. I've, I've met people that are 50 years old that acts like, act like they're 17. They can't shake it. They need healing. They need deliverance. Come on, that's what some of you were, but he cleansed you. He washed you. Can I get an amen in this place? Come on, hallelujah. Boy, we're getting after it. I hope you brought your steak knife tonight. Glory to God. Look at your neighbor and say, it's just so good to be in church and hear a comforting message tonight. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Look at somebody else and say, hallelujah. He ain't talking to me. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, today in America, sex has become recreation. It's a recreation and manipulation. 
People now have a propensity to be totally unrestrained in their sexual urges. Totally. There's even advocacy groups that argue about the rights that people have to have sex any way they choose. With anything they choose. I'm not getting, I'm not going to get graphic and I highly encourage you, do not Google any of that. Just don't do it. Just be excellent at what is good and innocent of evil. I'm telling you, there's a world of wickedness out there. Really, Pastor? I think I'm going to go check that out. Don't. Because you'll end up defiling yourself. You scar your mind and see stuff you don't need to see. The tragedy of sex when it's outside of the covenant of relation, covenant relationship, marriage that is, between man and a woman. It starts a fire that burns and destroys individual lives and families. And soon, a nation. And I'm telling you, that is what is happening in America. Everywhere I go, everywhere I fly, from New York to Hawaii to Florida to California and Oregon and everywhere in between, it is a deluge of sexual perversion everywhere. Well, of a fallen human nature, all of us have to, have to deal with our greed. Look, everybody struggles with pride. Of course, I don't. Amen. Everybody struggles with stuff. And if you say that you don't struggle with it, well, you lie, and then liars go to hell, and then you got to work all that out too. We, we have a fallen human nature. You, you have to deal with it. You say, well, how do I not yield to that stuff? It's a great question. The Apostle Paul talks about that. He talks about, you know, if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to abide in Jesus. Everybody say abide. abide. Well, how do I do that? Look at it, put it this way. Abide is very simplistic, but we'll use it just for tonight. Talk with Jesus. Everybody say talk. talk. Yeah, talk to God. That's a good way of abiding. Just talk to him. Many people don't talk to God about the problem they're having. Many people don't talk to God. How do you see that? How do you see and how do you feel about, about that, God? Maybe people don't even talk to the Lord that way. They just say, Our Father, why in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, the will be done on earth, and heaven give us day our deliverance. Amen. Bless me. Hallelujah. They move on. Oh my God wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you in his word. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to visit you at night. He wants to give you dreams. He wants to, he wants to minister. He wants to hold you. He wants to, he is dancing over you. Zephaniah 317 rejoices over you as singing. Rejoice means to spin like a top. That's our God. If you have a view of God, close your eyes for just a moment. Imagine just for a moment. Not going to be any spiritual guidance guiding you somewhere or anything. Just very simple picture. Close your eyes. Imagine, come on, close your eyes. Don't make me come over there and close your eyes. Close them. Imagine for a moment you come before the throne of God. You're there. You're at the throne. You look up to our heavenly father. What is the countenance of his face? Don't answer out loud. What does he look like? Open your eyes. Open your eyes. If you see him stern and angry looking at you, you have a distortion. If you see him disappointed with his arms folded, there's a distortion in your life. Somebody asked me, well, pastor, how do I, how do I get on fire? Truth. You get truth in you. You get the word, when the, the entrance of his word brings light, you get the word of God in you and you begin to meditate on that. You begin to think on that. You begin to memorize it and pray it back to him. You abide, you talk with God, you, you walk with God, you bring your fears to God and you spend time with him. What happens is the fire of his spirit will come and set you ablaze. Many people don't know what that is. Just playing church, playing some religious game. You might find yourself in a difficulty where you really cry out. Well, we've even given, back to our notes, we've even given sexual sin civil rights and are attempting to redefine marriage as a result. They have outlawed in California, Supreme Court has outlawed reparative therapy. How many of you know what that is? Reparative therapy. 
reparative therapy is where homosexuals can go and get help, get set free, and get delivered. It's outlawed in California. So if you're in California and you come to understand that, that so homosexuality, passive or active, is wrong before God, but you have this turmoil on the inside of you, you can't get help in California. You have to go to some other state. Now let me just tell you where this is headed. The tragedy of our nation continuing along this path will be the loss of religious freedom. Oh, pastor. No, it won't. I heard that. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, it will. You say, well, how is that? How's that going to be the result of that which the signers of the Declaration of Independence, I think every one of them were hunted down and killed. They lost all their fortunes. I think just about everyone, nearly every one of them lost their, they were, they, were, they were killed, they were murdered, they were tortured, they lost all their estates, every one of them. They paid this price so that we could have freedom to worship. And yet, now, in the name of freedom, the government is moving into position to declare actually what's right and wrong. No longer is God's word right and wrong. You see, there is what's called absolute truth. Now, I want you to say this, but they say there is absolute truth. Say it again. There is absolute truth. Truth is not something that's subjective to you. Just whatever you think is true is your truth. That's your personal truth. I've got my own personal truth. No, there's absolute truth, which is right here. The Word of God is truth. And when we drift away and throw the word of God out and begin to make up what we think is true, then we end up in serious trouble. And as I've said so many times before, the difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution is the French Revolution were focused on uh, a man as the center of all things. And reason, reason became their God. Big problem with that is don't forget we have a fallen human nature and what you think is right and you'd even bet your life on could be absolutely wrong. And so the French Revolution was a guillotine bloodbath that wiped out a whole section of the society. In the American Revolution, it was not that way. There was restraint. There was, there was a sense of right and wrong. There was preachers who preached called the Black Robe Regiment. I've talked about it before. I don't want to get into all of that. I think one of my favorite stories is a Lutheran pastor who's preaching, and he preached about uh, to everything there's a time and season out of Ecclesiastes, and then he pulled his black robe off and was wearing a, a, a uniform of a colonel, summoned his entire congregation to war. 300 men got up from their seats, said goodbye to their wives and their families, and walked right out the door that day. And he ended up as a brigadier general in the, in the, in the army of George Washington. Where is that? Where, where is that? We need that again. We need that again. We need people that are going to say, man, no more. Not on my watch. And by the way, it starts in your house. We're in some serious trouble. We can point the fingers. They have Ten Commandments. They shouldn't have never taken those commandments. You took them out of your house. As you drank your six-pack of beer and watched your rated R program. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Oh, did I step on somebody's toes? Oops. Of course, there's nobody here that like that, they're just online tonight. <laughs> if my people who were called by my name, says the Lord in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, my people, not, 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 not his people, his people. Any of his people here? Any, any of his, anybody here giving your heart to Jesus? Anybody here love God? Anybody here love the word? Anybody here love the Lord? Yeah, his people. If my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. If the government declares that something is civil rights, but the Bible calls it sin, inevitably you'll come to a point where there's a conflict. So if the Bible says that something is sin, but the government says it isn't, then we have a conflict. And it's the same situation as in the early church. Christianity, for, for many years, was protected under Roman rule. They called it legal religion. However, there was this lady, Jezebel by another name, 
Pompeii, Pompeii, P-A-P-E-A. She was the, uh, she was having an affair with Nero. And she talked him into the understanding that Christianity was different than Judaism. And they wanted, they wanted to redesign the city of Rome. So to set fire to this whole section of Rome so that they could redesign it and rebuild it. But however, there was like a revolt that he set the set it on fire. So he needed the scapegoat. So he blamed the Christians. And that started persecution that went on and on. From that point, in fact, here's history, 64 AD. It was illegal to be a believer. In fact, they had Roman uh, emperor worship. So let me just ask you, if, if somebody would come to you and say to you, um, just bow down and worship me, then you can, you can buy and sell and you can eat and you can do whatever. Even through history, there was an emperor that had people take a mark. Yeah. And if you didn't have the mark, then you couldn't buy or sell. It was all types and shadows of, of the Antichrist and the lawless one, all of that. So now if you're a believer, you said there's many people raise their hand, said you love Jesus with all your heart. You can live for him. Amen. You're not going to deny him, are you? Anybody here can deny him? Okay, if somebody's going to take your life, are you going to deny him? Now, you can't answer that question. I'm just telling you, you can't answer it. You can say yes now all you want to until the gun's at your head and they're going to pull the trigger for real. Then you really know what the answer is. So if somebody says to you, you have to bow down and worship me, the emperor says, and if you don't, well, then you're going to get killed. Well, if you're a real believer... If you really did give your life to Jesus and you made an allegiance to him and he's the only one, he really is your Lord, he really is your Savior, he's your God and you will never deny him or he'll deny you and you know it, then when you stand before somebody that says, do you deny him? Your answer must be emphatically, beyond all shadow of a doubt, no, I do not. Bam, that's it. Because it's illegal. Now, th this happened until, this happened, this is history. This happened until 313 A.D. That's a long time. Do the math. 64 A.D. to 313 A.D., the church was totally persecuted. The Edict of Milan. There's books that are written about these bishops that were coming, would come in with no arms, missing legs, tortured, blind, And what a day it was when, they became, when Christianity became legal again. But then, of course, you know, you had people that wanted to become Christian and keep all their, all their pagan stuff along with it. And this is just church history. The government says what's right, and, and you believe it's wrong. Well, then you have a problem. So what do we do? Well, very simply, back to your notes, and I'm almost done. We must all repent. You must live a lifestyle of repentance. Now, I don't think anybody here walked on water today. Every one of us has blown it. Attitudes, motives, maybe. Maybe you did have a lust problem today. Maybe you had a greed problem today. Maybe you got angry today and lost your cool. Okay, you need to live a lifestyle of repentance. The key to America... America can be healed. I'm going to tell you what the key is. You know what the key is? It's the church. The key to America's healing is us. It's the church. If my people. And historically, it's true. We must not allow our light to dim. Don't allow your light to dim. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This is light of mine. Let it shine, let it shine. Ooh, I won't let Satan blow it out. I won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. I won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. Can you say amen?
That's actively. Did you get in the Word today? Did you pray today? Did You, you have to cultivate. You know, the, 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 there's five wise widows in the... Wi widows. Virgins. Back to sex again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sort of. There's five wise virgins and five foolish ones in the parable of Jesus at the coming of the bridegroom. And the five wise ones, well, they had their oil filled. It's a picture of being filled with the Spirit every day. You don't know when he's coming back. And it says that their, trip, their, their wicks were trimmed. It's a picture of, of, of letting the oil of God, the, the power of God, shine through you. And there were those that, that didn't take enough oil. They weren't ready. And so they, they headed back. It's, it's the oil of intimacy. Where are you at with your light? With your light? Are you, is your light shining or have you gotten dim? Have you been dimmed or snuffed out by the perversion and the, of, of sexuality and, and greed and, and the worship of mammon? Have things got so important that it's crowded out your time with God? We will never have a revival unless we cultivate the oil of intimacy and unless we have our lamps filled and our wicks trimmed. Well, there is a coming revival. Make no doubt about it. There is a coming revival where God is going to set people on fire and they're going to decide, they're going to make a choice. As for me and my house, I'll serve the Lord. They're not going to go back. They're not going to give up. They're going to let their light shine. Minister Micah, would you come up to the platform, please? They're going to let their light what? Shine. We've got to humble ourselves and pray. Humble yourselves and pray. It takes humility to pray. We must proclaim and receive personally all that Christ has done for us. That verse 11, this is what some of you were. You don't have to be bound anymore. Hello. You don't have to be bound anymore. You don't have to be addicted anymore. You don't have to be afflicted anymore. You don't have to be depressed anymore. You don't have to be sick anymore. You don't have to be insecure anymore. You can be healed. You can be whole. You can be free. You can be on fire. It's a choice that you make. The psalmist saying, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. You know, we had an interesting thing happen in Williamsburg. We were eating dinner and it was awesome. And they had, I mean, it was really great. They had this like jazz band that was playing and there was a dance floor and they were playing some romantic song or whatever I, I forget what it was and so I asked my wife to dance with me my mom was so elated she's like oh <laughs> we got up and we got into that dance floor and she said don't you do it sometimes I can be a joker we began to dance man the Holy Ghost fell on us I mean, I mean the Spirit of God fell we haven't really talked about it since then we sat there and laughed and wept and laughed and wept I just thought oh my gosh God you're so awesome you know, many people don't know the joy of what it is to have that, that kind of unity and blessing. They see marriage as some sort of tormented thing. You know something? I don't even like saying the word sex, and I'll tell you why. Because I don't know. That, that's not what that is to me. It's the wrong word. Listen, people, we, we have to stand in this hour. The vote for same-sex marriage will come to Alaska. You mark my words. It will come here. It will come. And then will come euthanasia. That'll come. And then, and then what will happen is it will begin to move to then. Um, it's already started. They're going to begin to try to uh, justify pedophiles. And that you can, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Don't, don't, don't think that. No, that's how it is. It's, it's, it's just sliding de decline. And that if you can take a baby and begin to say, well, we really come from apes, so it's really not that big a deal. It's just a fetus. I mean, come on. Then abortion's fine. 
You see, but if you're made in the image of God, and that you're a living, breathing human being from the point of conception, and that while I was yet in my mother's womb, he knit me together before, 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 everybody say before, before he knew me. So when you read the word like that, then there's no way that you can just go ahead and kill millions of babies and be justified. Oh, but if you can say that you came from an ape, then, you know, that we're just out of the primordial slime and it's really not that big a deal. Listen, it's time for revival. America can be healed, but it's up to us if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I'm asking you tonight, I mean, I just, I would to God that the whole church was here, but every one of us, you all need to turn from whatever wickedness you're doing. Examine your heart. Turn. Whatever revival, whatever revival, you know what the key is? Repentance, that's the key. The depth of repentance, says Corey Ten Boom, brings the depth of revival. America can be healed, but it will happen because of the church. Can you say amen? Well, just a good old-fashioned altar call. If God put his finger on something in you, something you need to deal with, we'll get dealing with it. Have a board meeting right now with your, with your Savior. Meet with Him. Come on, examine your heart. Where are you at with God? Is your light burning brightly or you've been snuffed out? Maybe you're defiled. Maybe you got polluted. You know, maybe you're on fire. And if you are, I'm thankful. I, I, but I, I know certainly that there's more. There's other levels. There's other levels of fire and anointing. There's more levels of intimacy with God. So whatever, wherever you're at, you don't stop pursuing Him. I'm on a hot pursuit. I'm on a pursuit after God. Get closer to Him, to know Him, to hear His voice, to obey. There's nothing that satisfies like Him. No, not nothing. Nothing can. Nothing can. Even marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And don't, don't put any filth on that. It's a pure thing. We're His bride. And one day, one day, one day that marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. And until that day, we're all supposed to be like John the Baptist. We're all supposed to be friends of the bridegroom. Many pastors and pulpits across the land are looking for people to give them accolades and a pat on the back and to get the affection of their people. But I'm going to tell you something. that, that I'm thankful for your love for me. I'm thankful for all of your blessings and how you pray for us. My job, my job is to get you to fall in love with Jesus so big and so bad. My job is to get you so hungry, so thirsty, so drawn into his presence. My job is to say, oh, there's a one. His name, oh, his name's Jesus. He loves you. He wants to wrap his arms around you. He wants to speak to you tonight. He wants to give you dreams. He wants to give you visions. Not to try to parlay some sort of affection for myself. Fall in love with God. That's how revival comes. You don't need to tell anybody about their sin, by the way. Let me, let me say that. Don't go pointing other people's sins out. So you know you're a fornicator. We need to talk. You heard, Pastor. You fornicator. The Holy Spirit is a great way of fixing somebody's wagon. Now there is a time for direct confrontation. Would you be prayed up? And you who are spiritual should do that. I, I'm, I, I don't, it's not my favorite thing to do. But I'm not going to have somebody's blood on my hands either. I allow for the Spirit of God just to move and to touch. We're going to love everybody. God's going to touch people. You don't need to point people's sin out. Come on, sinners, no sin. And sinners sin. Shoot, I was doing stuff when I came in the church. I didn't even know it was wrong. And then I realized, oh, snap, probably shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> Come on, say this with me as you stand up on your feet. Say, America can be healed. Can be healed. The church, church is the answer. You believe that? Say amen. amen. Put your hands together for God. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we begin to close this service. If you're not right with God, I want to give you an opportunity to get right with Him. How do you get right with God? You repent. 
You ask him to forgive you. You ask him to come into your heart, to wash you, to cleanse you, to change you. That's how. You don't just get forgiven because you just want that. You're forgiven because there's one who died in your place. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross. He was bruised, pierced, beaten beyond recognition so much so that his visage was marred. We, you couldn't even recognize his face when they were done with him. I don't know what movie you saw about it. It was a whole lot worse than that. He was whipped by the bulls of Bashan, demonized Roman guards ripping his flesh off. By his stripes, 39 lashes upon his back. By his stripes were healed. You're healed because he, he took it for you. He took it for me. He became sin. For cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He hung on a tree, hung on a cross, became a curse. As it says in Galatians chapter 3, that we might be free, that we might be healed, that we might have new life and become new creatures new creations in Christ if you've not become a new creation if you can't recall the day or the moment that you received Jesus you might not have and if you've slipped away from your walk with the Lord you're not as close as you used to be and maybe you've drifted and you're okay with compromise and you're realizing after tonight's message that shoot you need to get right then you get right tonight for the first time or a recommitment if that's you all across this place, those online, those listening by podcast, if that's you, you're serious. I don't care if you've done it a hundred times. If you're sincere, God knows your heart. That's some religious thing. You want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time, or you want to make a recommitment to him on the count of three, put your hand in the air. One, two, three. Do it right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Quickly come up here like your life depends on it. Meet me right here. Run up here. Come. Quickly come. Quickly. Come on. Somebody say hallelujah. Amen. Come on. Come. I want you to pray this prayer right out loud with me. Brother Toby, come and stand with our brother right here. Say with me right out loud. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for rising again from the grave for me. Forgive me. I'm sorry for all of my sin. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. Come on, say it again. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Break every chain. Every curse. And every bondage. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a hunger for your word. And use me to fulfill the plan you have for my life. I'll say this, say, I'm forgiven. Oh, some of you don't believe it. Say it again. I'm forgiven. I'm healed. I'm washed. I'm cleansed. I'm translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm born again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm loved. I'm secure. He carved me in the palm of his hand. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I'm his friend. Just lift your hands now.
It's the Holy Ghost. just a moment longer press in
Father, surround them with people that are filled with your presence and your word, Lord, and filled with godly counsel. Oh God, do a miracle, oh God. Jesus. Jesus, take someone by the hand tonight. Becky, I see the word uh, uh, over, over you, political favor. And I don't know what that means, but I'll just release it to you. There's, God's going to give you favor, and God's going to give you influence, even, even politically. And um, he's connected you up in such a way with different ones that you might not even be aware of. I see you, I see you shaking hands, meeting people. There's some divine connections that have been taking place over recent months even. I'm going to bring a relationship from I'm going to bring a relationship from the past and I'm going to bring one even in recent months. And I'm doing a unique thing in your life that's beyond anything that you're aware of. As you serve faithfully and diligently of the years to serve me, I saw that when you didn't get the acknowledgement of the pat on the back, I saw when you sacrificed, I saw when you gave, when it, even when it hurt, when you were just faithful in the midst even of confusion in your words that were spoken, even to those who would have been mis misled and head down the wrong path, even unto destruction. I've used you to spare lives. I've used you to speak life. And, and that life, that deck, declaration of life in the land of the living has taken root in so many more than you know. The Lord tells, tells me to encourage you and to tell you that he's marked out your path and it's spacious and it's beautiful and he's going to use you. The giftings and the talents and the anointing that is upon you is real. It's not counterfeit. I'm leading you into all truth, says the Lord, and you're going to be powerfully used even in political circles, says the Lord. Lord, bless your people tonight. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance unto them. Be gracious to them. Keep them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Bless you. We'll see you Sunday, if not before. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.